The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. Um, and I'm glad that we can be together. If you are a guest or visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, glad that you uh, would join us this morning. And, and we, gather, uh, we gather together, uh, regardless of background, regardless of economic status, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of all these things that would uh, often separate people in our world. We gather together because we have a common, uh, common need. We have a common need, and that need is uh, for grace and mercy and forgiveness. And there are glimpses of it, right, in our world. Sometimes we see glimpses of grace. Sometimes we see glimpses of forgiveness and mercy. We see it in the world around us, maybe in our day-to-day -day lives, but, but they're simply glimpses. And what they're pointing us to is the fact that we are in need of, of deeper need. We have a deeper need. And that we are in need of, of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. And that's why we gather. That's why we come. That's why uh, people who maybe the world would look at and think that we wouldn't have much in common. This is why we gather together. So that we would know God's forgiveness. And that's what this passage is about this morning. In Mark chapter 2, that's where we'll be this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 2. We're going to see God's forgiveness on display. And so uh, you can follow along in your Bibles, beginning in verse 1 of Mark 2. And when he, that being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us now, <clears throat> that you would teach us what it means to follow you, to walk with you, to rest in your grace and forgiveness. And so I pray that you would help us Meet us now. Help the one who preaches and all those who hear that what is said and done this morning would honor you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I recently uh, finished watching season five of the show Fargo. 
Uh, some of you uh, may be familiar with this show. It's loosely based on the movie from a number of years ago. Now, now before I go on and say anything more about it, uh, let me just say, uh, this is not a show for everyone, okay? Uh, it is, it's dark, it's gritty. I knew Kat would hate it, so, so uh, she didn't watch it with me. But um, so that caveat aside now, that disclaimer out there, um, this most recent season uh, is, is a story of, of violence, domestic violence. It's a story of revenge. It's a story of new beginnings, and it's a story of the unexpected. And the unexpected comes about in this particular scene where Dot, who's the main character, Dot, she's from Minnesota, so she embodies everything that is Minnesota niceness, right? Y'all know what that is, don't you know, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, anyway, there, there's this thing called Minnesota niceness, and she embodies it, and she comes home, and she walks into her house, and she finds this man there, Ole Munch, and he's sitting on her couch with her family, with her husband and her daughter. And she sees him and she is startled by his presence because he is there, she knows, to bring one thing. And that is death. And yet there he sits. And so she sits across from him. And her husband, not knowing why Ol is there to bring death to Dot and maybe even the rest of the family, he offers him a soda. You know, would you like a pop? That's what they call it, right, in Canada and Minnesota and all this, right? Would you like a pop? And, and her daughter, not knowing why he's there either, he, she invites him to stay for dinner. And so Dot, embodying the Minnesota niceness, does the same and says, yes, please stay for dinner. Help me make biscuits. And so they make their biscuits, and they sit down at the dinner table. And as, as Ole is telling his story and describing his past, he summarizes it by saying, I cannot sleep. I cannot grow old, and I cannot even die, because all that is left is sin. And so Dot empathizes with him in his pain. And she enters into his hurt and his story, and she offers him a biscuit and says to this man who was coming to bring death, she says to him, eat something made with love and joy and be forgiven. And so Ol takes the biscuit and he bites it and he savors the buttery goodness. And for the first time in the entire season, he smiles. Because in that moment, he didn't just taste the biscuit, but he was tasting and receiving forgiveness. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. A scene of unexpectedness. Because what we expected to find in the scene was death. But what came was forgiveness. We see unexpected results in our passage as well. You see, four men came with a paralytic, and they weren't expecting death. They were expecting healing. They were expecting mercy, and what they find is something even better than healing. They find forgiveness. They find forgiveness. They receive forgiveness, right? We see how the passage plays out, right? Jesus and his followers, they've returned to Capernaum. They're in this home, and word has gotten out. 
Word has gotten out that the healer, this great teacher, he's there. And so people have come from all over the town and they filled this house. It's packed right to the gills. It's standing room only. You can imagine that there are people standing on the outside of the house looking through the open window. People in the street hoping that they might just get a glimpse of this miracle worker. Hoping that maybe they'll just hear one word of his great teaching. And it's into this environment that these four men show up with this paralytic. Carrying him on a mat and they can't get through, right? But, but that they're not to be deterred. So they go up on the top of the roof, they break it open, and they lower him down. Now, I want you to think about that, okay? We, you, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this story, right? As a kid, you probably had the flannel graph, right, of this story, right, of the person descending from the, the ceiling, right? So, so we, we, we just kind of move on. We're familiar with it, but put yourself in the place of those people who are sitting in the room listening to Jesus, and you're hanging on every word that he's saying, right? This is an amazing teaching. It's, it's teaching we've never heard before. And, and maybe mid-sentence you hear. And you're wondering, where is this coming from, right? This weird noise that's interrupting his teaching. I think I just messed up the, uh, no, it's just that one. Okay. Uh, I didn't know I was that strong. <laughs> but, um, but you hear this crazy noise, right? And so, so you start looking around, and as you're sitting there, dust starts to fall in your head, right? And it's filling up the room, and you look up, and there's a man descending from the ceiling. That would be a little strange, right? Right? Uh, we joked when we first moved into the building that maybe that's how I could enter, right? Like, we could lower the bat, right? Don't worry, that, that, that didn't last. Um, but, but, you know, that would be strange, wouldn't it? It would be disconcerting. It, the people probably vacillated between disbelief at what they were seeing and annoyance because they interrupted Jesus, right? But not Jesus, he doesn't have disbelief at what he's seeing, and he's certainly not annoyed. In fact, what he sees is faith. That's what we hear, right? In verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of these four men in this paralytic. Now, we know from the book of Hebrews that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? We put our faith often in things that we can't see. As believers, we put our faith in Jesus. We put it in, in God the Father, right? We put our faith in the Spirit. We, we put our faith in these things we cannot see. And faith is seen. Do you, did you pick up on that distinction? We put our faith in things we can't see, but our faith is seen. It is demonstrable. It's observed. These men, by their actions, were demonstrating the faith that they had. The faith that Jesus is the one that could heal their friend. And so I wonder. I wonder about us. I wonder what do our works and our words and our lives, what do they reveal about our faith? When people look at our lives, what do our lives show about where our faith is? For these men, their faith was in Christ, and it motivated them. It, it pushed them to do this great act. 
that Jesus had the ability to hear, heal. And Jesus sees their faith. And so in seeing their faith, he says to this man, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, now let's put ourselves in the place of those four men and the paralytic, right? Jesus sees the man. He's before him. I'm guessing, you know, at, you know, people, you know, moved away and he lowered and he's laying right in front of Jesus. And Jesus isn't annoyed, obviously. He sees something great about these men. He sees their faith. He's maybe a little amused at what's occurring. And he opens his mouth to speak. And what would we expect him to hear? Get up. Walk. You're healed. Right? That's what we would expect. But instead, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, we know the rest of the story, so we know he's going to heal him. But why does Jesus say your sins are forgiven? Why does he go there? Well, he does this. He offers this forgiveness. Because though the body is broken, this man had a greater need than the healing of his legs. What he needed was the healing of his soul. He needed his sins to be forgiven. You see, Jesus sees the need that's beneath the need. He sees the need that is beneath the need, and so he forgives this man's sins. Now, now the fact that Jesus forgives his sins, it, it invites another question, right? Does he have the authority to do this? And that's actually what the scribes are wondering, right? They don't look at Jesus offering this forgiveness and think this man shouldn't be forgiven. They're actually not, they don't comment on that. Their concern, right, is with Jesus and whether he has the authority to forgive him. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second, but, but it then made me wonder, like, what do we think about forgiveness? Now, that's a strange question maybe for some of y'all, because what a, what are we going to think about forgiveness? I mean, forgiveness is a good thing, right? We know it's a good thing. And so, so what do we think about forgiveness? Like, why do we even have to ponder that and wonder that? Because we know how good forgiveness is. When we've sinned against another, when we have fallen short, when we've hurt our parents, our children, our neighbors, right? We know that forgiveness is a good thing, a thing that we long for. It's a thing that we want, but what about when we've, done the, when we've been the ones who have been hurt? We want forgiveness when we've done the hurting, but when we're the ones who are hurt, are we so quick to want forgiveness then? Or to extend it? C.S. Lewis once wrote, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And we feel that, don't we? We feel that. We want forgiveness, but when we've been hurt, what do we want? Justice. But the truth is, is we don't really want justice. What we want is vengeance. We want them to hurt like we hurt. Right? And this is playing out in our culture. It's playing out in our world. If you've been paying attention to some of the various op-eds and essays that have been written over the last number of years, there's a loud voice declaring that forgiveness is something that we should just put aside. Because in granting forgiveness, we are not holding people accountable. And so we should just ignore that idea of forgiveness. It's not something that we should do. 
And so instead of repentance and confession leading to forgiveness, the one who has sinned is simply canceled. We see that. And of course, we need to hold people accountable for their actions, and we can't ignore or go blind to injustice. And, of course, when those can, people confess and repent, forgiveness is given. Forgiveness is extended. That's what we are to be. You see, in the church, there isn't canceling. There's hope of repentance. And when repentance comes, there is forgiveness. And we forgive because actually that's what Christ has done with us. That's exactly what Christ has given. Because Jesus doesn't say only to this man on the mat, your sins are forgiven. He actually says to all who are trusting in him. He says to all who are looking to him. He says to us, our sins are forgiven. That those sins that that because we have committed them, that, they, that we deserve death and hell, he says to us, you are forgiven. Right? Despite what the world would say, that forgiveness is an act of weakness. It is not an act of weakness. Forgiveness is a great act of strength. It's a great act of strength on the part of the one who has been sinned against to bear the burden of that act. And y'all, that's exactly what Jesus did. In the cross, he bore the burden of our sins because he took our sin upon himself. It was the greatest act of strength for Christ to go to the cross and to take our punishment upon himself, and he did it so forgiveness would come, so that your sins and mine would be forgiven. See, in this passage, we see the receiving of forgiveness. And this invokes in the scribes another question, right? We hear it in verse 7. Why does he speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, they understood something. They understood that forgiveness only comes from God. Forgiveness only comes from God. Ultimate forgiveness comes from God and the scribes understood that, and they understood the implication of Jesus' words. That when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, he is declaring himself to be God himself. He is declaring for himself that he is divine. Because only God can forgive sins. See, there's, uh, there are a lot of um, critical scholars, uh, like biblical scholars and scholars in the world, who, who like to point out, that Jesus doesn't come right out in the Gospels and say, I'm God. <laughs> he doesn't say it that way. Instead, what he does is he says things like this. Your sins are forgiven. I am the good shepherd. Right? He says these sorts of things that any good reader, any good listener, any good Jew would have known when he says these things, like your sins are forgiven. He's saying, I am God. And I have the authority and the power to do the very thing I just declared. And the scribes understood this. They understood that sin is ultimately against God. That's why David, in Psalm 51, 
Remember David in Psalm 51 when he's offering his prayer after he had sinned against Bathsheba and had sinned against the nation of Israel and had killed and murdered Uriah, that David in his prayer, what does he say to God? Against you, you only have I sinned. Now David's not saying like, well, I didn't really sin against Bathsheba. Like, you know, you know that's just a misreading, right? I, I didn't really sin against your eye. He wasn't saying those things. He's acknowledging that sin, but what he is acknowledging is that all sin, no matter who it is committed against, is ultimately committed against God. So think about like this. So Jesus forgives this man's sins, and in doing so, he is actually claiming that this man's sins are against him. And because they're against him, he has the right to forgive him. So think about it like this, okay? Um, so imagine, if you will, that uh, me and two friends are hanging out. We're spending, spending a, a lunch together, maybe, or just, you know, spending some time together. So maybe, like, I don't know, hmm, Bob and Matt, right? The three of us, we're hanging out and we're having a good conversation. It's fun and we're engaging with one another. And at some point in the midst of the conversation, this never happened, by the way, Bob jumps up and he punches Matt in the face, okay? You just heard me, it never happened, right? Just making this up. Bob's self-controlled guy. So, um, so he jumps up, punches Matt in the face, right? Matt falls over. His face is starting to puff up. He's got a cut in his, in his lip, right? There's blood coming out. And before anything can go on, I jump up. I get in between them. I say, Bob, stop. Don't worry. You're forgiven. Walk away. Now, Matt, once he kind of, you know, gets to his feet, should go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have, you can't forgive him. I'm, I'm the one bleeding here, Penny. You don't have the right, you don't have the authority to forgive him. That the only one who can forgive is the one who has been sinned against, right? And so when Jesus says to this man, you are forgiven, he's saying, your sins, they were against me. He couldn't say that this man was forgiven if they weren't against him. And he wouldn't have the power and the authority to forgive these sins if he weren't God. You see, forgiveness, it comes ultimately through God. That's why the scribes say that Jesus is blaspheming. And if Jesus isn't God, then he is a blasphemer. But he is. God, that is. <laughs> He's the Lord. He is the one who has the power and the authority to forgive sins. And so understanding what's going through their minds, Jesus shows why he has authority to forgive. He says in verse 8, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? I, I have to tell you, like, I'm kind of like, they both sound hard to me. <laughs> but, but anyway, Jesus goes on and says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority in earth to forgive sins. So you hear what he's saying, right? So that you know that what I did, I am allowed to do. I have the power to do. I have the authority to do. So that you know who I am. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And the man did. I mean, think about that. Like, we, we don't know how long he'd been paralytic. Had it been weeks, months, maybe years? But there had been a length of time where he could not stand under his own strength. Right? Where his legs were only weak. Where he had to be carried from place to place. And now, the one who forgave his sins has now healed him so that his legs are strong. He can walk and run and skip and jump. He came into that house through a, through a hole in the ceiling by someone lowering him and he left walking. And Jesus healed him to show that he has the power to forgive. By healing the man, he is demonstrating that he not only has the power over sickness and over brokenness and over the effects of the fall, but Jesus is showing that he has the right and authority and power to forgive sin. Even our sins. And when the crowd saw this, they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And y'all, they hadn't. They hadn't seen healings, but more importantly, they hadn't seen the one who could forgive sins. And when they did see him, they worshiped God. And y'all, that is our response. That is our response. That when we know that Jesus, this one, this one who is God incarnate, right? This one, he forgives my sins and your sins. We too are to be amazed. Amazed that, that our sins through Christ are forgiven. We are amazed at this grace and we give glory to the one who forgives. Y'all, that's why we gather. I said it from the very beginning, right? We gather because we are a people who need forgiveness. And as those who have been forgiven, we gather to rejoice and to celebrate and to glorify the God who forgives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to do that very thing. That you would open our eyes to your grace. That we would marvel at your goodness. That we would be uh, just overwhelmed with thanksgiving that our sins have been forgiven. And so when, when we are amazed and overwhelmed and we see clearly, we pray that you would fill our hearts with rejoicing and that we would glory in you, our God and our King, the one who has come and the one who has died and the one who has risen and is coming again, the one who forgives our sins. Let us glory in you. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.